0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hello, good friends. Good to see you again, and welcome back to another edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs> well, I don't have to tell you about my frustration with the mainstream media today. You've heard me rant many times about their cowardice, their 2 sidedism their reluctance to tell the truth about congressional Republicans, and especially about Donald Trump. So I was excited to learn about a new progressive newsletter whose very mission is to call out the media and prod them into doing their job. The newsletter is called Off Message, and it's written by a man who knows his way around the media world. Before launching Off Message, Brian Boitler was Senior Congressional Reporter for TPM, Senior Editor for The New Republic, and Editor-in-Chief for Crooked Media. Well, we're very excited to help Brian launch Off Message by welcoming him today to our podcast to talk about media coverage of today's big news stories. Brian Boitler, welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. It's good to talk to you again. It's great to be back. Thank you so much. So, God, there's so much going on uh, that we've got to talk about. Well, let's start with some of the big events of the last few days, uh, Brian. So, Monday of this week, for the first time, by the way, probably not the last time um, this year, Americans have seen something they have never seen before, a former president of the United States sitting in a courtroom surrounded by his attorneys, one on each side, actually charged with fraud uh, and on the way into the courtroom Donald Trump called the, the whole trial a witch hunt he accused the judge of being sort of a, a, a puppet of special counsel Jack Smith and he accused the New York Attorney General of being a racist. so that raises well, the question once again Brian right? how's the media handle this? big time I just
0: want to I just want to say just as, as a threshold point, that isn't it. Kind of amazing, also that that so many of us have to sort of will ourselves to remind ourselves how shocking it is that that's happening because Trump does so many crazy things and and reaps all of these extraordinary forms of accountability that that some days he just goes into courtrooms and we have to we have to almost tell ourselves oh yeah that's a big deal that's really important it's a historical event um, so I I think that actually. There's a segue there into how the media should cover it, which is they should they should, uh, you know, use those same mental habits, even if they're desensitized as reporters to the things Donald Trump does and to the, the you mm-hmm. know, history making in a bad sense uh, things that he does. That, that they are witnessing something that's never happened before um, and that could have profound consequences for the country and um, not to, because they themselves have grown bored by it. Um, mm. you know, bury it in the back pages or speak about it as if it's just, you know, uh, another uh, another day at the Trump circus. Um, and, mm. and I guess my fear is that it's going to be more of the latter um, with some effort to sort of um, create a, a false equivalency with Joe Biden so that they can cover the election like it's between two similar kinds of candidates.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we've seen that um, giving Trump Uh, Passed basically uh, on too many occasions recently, and I want to get back to some more of those occasions uh, concerning Donald Trump. But first, uh, the other big news recently on Sunday, of course, we got to the once again to the very brink of the shutdown, but did not go over the cliff. Right. So the the play uh, media play was this is a great big win for the Democrats and a big loss for Kevin McCarthy. Um, do you see it the same way?
0: In some ways I do, and in some ways I don't. Um, in, my, in my newsletter off message, I actually wrote about exactly this, that it is true that Republicans are barreled into these negotiations, making all kinds of crazy demands, with the implication being that if Democrats didn't cough up significant ransoms, uh, that Republicans would shut down the government and cause pain for the country, And uh, I guess the idea is that if they caused enough pain, maybe Democrats would agree to concessions down the line. And so in that sense, Republicans really did lose uh, and Democrats really did win. But viewed from another angle, um, what Republicans did was say, we're going to shut the government down unless you give us something. And then the rest of Congress and the White House agreed to remove aid to Ukraine from the, from the budget. It's only a 45 day budget. So um, the the aid could be restored fairly quickly in theory. Um, But if you look at it that way, what that means is that, is that Republicans got something for their, uh, for their uh, extreme behavior. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's a great precedent to set. And I don't think that in their triumphalism, Democrats should lose sight of the fact that this is becoming kind of a pattern. Um that when when Republicans take the country to the edge of a cliff, uh Democrats keep kind of coughing up a little something um to to ameliorate the crisis and uh and and we don't know how to how to how that dynamic ends in the long run
1: so in effect, uh, I think you're saying, and I've been saying the media may pay too much attention, right, give too much credence to the outrageous demands that they make, and then Kind of overlooked the fact that little by little they're chipping away at things, right?
0: The storylines that they're they're cooking up about who won and who lost are sort of based on the affect that the parties are bringing to the public outside of their internal uh, caucus or conference meetings, right? The the Republicans are mired in a civil war; they're lashing out at each other. They're making these outrageous demands and not getting them. They're extremely frustrated by the outcome. And Democrats in their affect are poised and responsible, but they're not giving in to these threats and they they manage to keep the government open. And if you look at it atmospherically in that sense, it looks really good for Democrats and it looks really bad for Republicans. But if you, if you cut away all the kabuki theater, all the theatrics, all the performance art that is sort of inherent to politics, and you look at, well, what just happened substantively? What happened was Republicans refused to fund the government unless they got something, they got something, and then they funded it. Um, and and for, for many years, Democrats understood that this was a dangerous dynamic and it was one that they shouldn't give into. Though in the past, when they had given into it, um, it created all of these perverse incentives. A lot of the things that they conceded to Republicans in those kinds of um, sort of hostage standoffs uh, were bad for the country. And I think that we're backsliding a little bit, like Democrats are, are growing comfortable with the idea that it's worth coughing up something, as long as it's fairly small, to prevent Republicans from harming the country. And they should be maybe thinking a little bit about what they can do to discourage Republicans from threatening to harm the country in the first place.
1: Or giving into those or giving into those demands at all. I, I, I enjoyed your newsletter on that, Brian, and I um, it was struck. That even though it didn't come to play exactly in this incidence, that you do talk about the fact this filibuster. I mean, it still looms out there as the impediment to any serious getting any anything seriously done in the United States Congress today, doesn't it? And yes, why. it does.
0: Well, so I, I think that, um, you know, people who are part of the Democratic Party or supportive of the Democratic Party or liberal and hope the Democratic Party wins, you know, they should they should be, be able to keep two things in mind. One is that currently with a 51 seat majority in the Senate with at least two members who oppose reforming the filibuster or abolishing the filibuster, the filibuster is here and it is going to limit what. Senate Democrats are able to do, and it's going to empower Senate Republicans um, to be mischievous. And they're abusing that power right now. And it, I think that you're, you're, it's sort of tilting at windmills or, 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 or shouting at clouds or something to, to get extremely frustrated with Chuck Schumer and the Democratic leadership about that right now, because they can't come up with two, three, four extra votes. But It is at the same time true that if you look back to when this filibuster crisis started, was 15 years ago, really, when Mitch McConnell was uh, first minority leader and the the abuse of the filibuster really picked up, the number of, they call them cloture votes, soared. It exploded beyond, uh, beyond anything we'd seen in history. And I mean, that was when it should have dawned on Democrats that there's a problem here. And if we don't figure out a way around it, we can win elections. We can win pretty big Senate majorities. And they'll just stop us from doing stuff because, the, because of these rules. And it's, I think, perfectly reasonable to be frustrated with the Democratic Party leadership over that stretch, which hasn't changed much. You know, Chuck Schumer was in the leadership then. He's in the leadership now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. uh, that oh, In 15 years, they haven't been able to make much progress uh, towards limiting the ability of the minority party, at least to abuse the filibuster, if not to use it at all. Um, and that that extends to how you know who they recruit to run for Senate, what they sort of encourage their elected members to think of as like core party priorities. you know you when when you when you, somebody describes someone as a democratic senator, we all come you know we all kind of know what that means right they're They're almost certainly mm-hmm. pro choice. they almost certainly support health care as a right, and so on, right. It should be the case after these 15 years that we can assume that they also think that the filibuster has been abused and they want to get rid of it. But right. the party hasn't done that. And I think it's yep. totally reasonable yep. for, for people to to think that that's sort of unacceptable and it was a mistake.
1: Yeah. In fact, today, it seems like they've given up on it, right? You don't hear about it anymore. A year or so ago, there was a lot of talk about it. And now, sort of said, okay, nothing we can do. Let's just move on, right? Which is... Which yeah, why- I mean,
0: it is sort of. It's interesting to 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 ponder what might have happened if if in the twenty twenty two elections Democrats had had won an extra seat, so they have fifty two senators <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know there is more. There is encouraging news. I think that it, more often than not now, if not in every single case, Democratic candidates for Senate in their primaries when they're trying to win the nomination, they are saying enough with the filibuster, and so. Mm-hmm. Sort of organically, I think, by attrition almost over time, the Senate Democratic Caucus will become filled with members who are done with it. And they figure yeah. out either they they're, they're determine that they're going to abolish it or reform it in a way that makes it impossible to be abused the way Mitch McConnell has abused it. But that's going to take I don't know if it's going to be the 2024 election or many elections after that. We're not there yet. And as long as this status quo is in place, um, you know, Senate Republicans can sort of um, bully Democrats in much to, in, in, in a sort of analogous way to how Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans tried to bully Democrats with the government shutdown, uh, mm-hmm. uh, using different
1: tools. Yeah, exactly. All right. So the other big event that almost got, um, over, well, did get overshadowed by all the shutdown talk is that we saw last week the first hearing of the big Biden impeachment inquiry. Now, um, Brian, I don't know what you saw, but I, I my particular reference is to CBS Evening News. I happened to be watching that night. John Dickinson was filling in for Nora O'Donnell, and that was their lead story of the night. And they started it out by saying it was the first impeachment inquiry, and Republicans accused Joe Biden of being of taking millions and millions of dollars from his son, Hunter Biden, from China, from Ukraine, uh, and on and on this whole cycle of corruption, and then and Democrats, by the way, said it was all a big distraction. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I thought the headline should be a big belly flop for the impeachment in right? It was a total bust. Not the way I saw it reported, how about you
0: i I didn't see this specific report, but that's been my uh, that's been my general impression of the coverage of the impeachment since it was announced yeah, and you know i, I last week, I guess I wrote a, a a newsletter for off message about this specific issue, which is that you know it's a very open secret in Washington if you talk to Republican members of Congress, if you talk to democratic members of Congress, if you talk to members of the media they all know that that, 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 the the impeachment is meritless on purpose, right? Republicans know they don't have any real Mm -hmm. actionable, like, cause to impeach President Biden. Um, And and it has been reported, you know, often four, five, 10, 15 paragraphs into into news articles that Republicans think, like, launched the impeachment because they, they reasoned that if they didn't escalate to an impeachment, then the public would come to the conclusion that they'd exonerated Joe Biden of, uh, of wrongdoing and and that their investigations of him had turned up nothing. But that just means that the investigations turned up nothing. So <laughs> right. so that's the story. And, and the reporters know it and the Republicans know it and the Democrats know it. And, uh, and nevertheless, um, because uh, the sort of culture of mainstream political reporting um is so dysfunctional these days. It uh they the reporters feel compelled to follow the um the ins and outs of it as if it was a legitimate impeachment like the two Trump impeachments or even like the the, the Clinton impeachment, which at the very least they could say what they were impeaching him for, right? Whether you <laughs> thought it was merited right. or not. They could say what it was, but they can't hear. And uh, and and despite all of that, the news stories, instead of saying like Republicans continue to search for a basis for the impeachment they launched, they report it the way you just described. Republicans make yeah. these wild accusations and Democrats call it a distraction. Well, if you're not paying close attention at home and that's what you're picking up from your news media, you might reasonably walk away thinking that there's something up with Joe Biden. He did something bad and they're kind of on to him.
1: And what troubles me is that this messaging. Right That Hunter is a crooked person, and his father was also involved in this corruption, even the Biden crime family. Uh, there's a good chunk of Americans who believe that just because they hear it repeated uh you know, by the Republicans, but also then echoed by the media um so it, it it has a pernicious impact, I guess is what I'm saying
0: I agree yeah the the polls suggest that the public at large, which includes both Democrats, Republicans, independents, everyone, they're about they're about evenly split on who they think the more corrupt of the two presidential candidates is Donald Trump or <laughs> Joe Biden. I mean, everyone in the media knows the answer to the question. It's Donald Trump by a mile. Donald, Joe Biden is not a corrupt politician. Um, but the way things have been reported has created this false balance. And, I mean, it's, it's worth saying that it's, it's it's clearly the case that most Democratic voters – understand joe biden is not corrupt and trump is and most republican voters think biden is corrupt and trump is not so there it's a lot of it is just about how how people are caught in their partisan echo chambers but i think that if the mainstream news reported it more clearly just thought of it as part of their job like well if, if, if this matters to voters we should be clear about which of the presidential candidates is the most ethical you wouldn't have a 50 50 split in perception right Right. It would be, you know, Donald Trump would win the corruption award in a walk.
1: Is it, is it the problem that, no matter how outrageous, uh, let's say, this inquiry is, that the media has um, like a, histor- a, a sense that their historic mission is to treat both sides equally, even if one is, laugh out loud, ridiculous?
0: I think so and I mean I, I, this is a,
1: a big big
0: topic I think you yep. one could write a book <laughs> about it I think one people have written books about it a uh, part of it is the, the the you know the the original ep- economics of monopoly sized media you know when you had handful of news networks and then you had a handful of national news news newspapers handful of national news magazines and then maybe one or two state uh Newspapers, state state capital based newspapers in, in every market. Well, when that was the uh, economy for news media, there was a big imperative for those institutions to be appealing to their, um, their whole constituencies. So if it's Mm -hmm. the New York times, that's the whole country. Um, If it's the Indianapolis star tribune, that's all of Indiana. Right. Um, And, uh, and so there was, they, they felt like reporting the news in a way that didn't, like raise the hackles of partisan Democrats or partisan Republicans was really important. And I think that uh, a a big part of this sort of even handed Democrats say this, Republicans say that or both sides do it stems from 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 those economic foundations, which are are now obviously in tatters with the Internet and everything else. Then there's also just the um, the the incentives reporters face, right? They they go to Capitol Hill and if they want to know what's going on, they have to talk to, to sources in both parties. And if they report the news faithfully, which would be to say the impeachment uh, is bogus and Donald Trump is more corrupt than Joe Biden. And if you actually care about whose children are doing what with foreign governments, like look at Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, Um, if they did that, they would, they would not be able to tell, you know, Republicans would ice them out and they, they would feel like they had failed at some element of their jobs. Um, And so they, so they sand down the rough edges and people are less well informed as a result. Um, But they, they get to feel like they're sourced with both parties.
1: Right. Okay, uh, I promised we'd get back to Donald Trump and some of the outrageous things he's been saying lately and how the media has or has not been covering them fairly. Uh, And let's do that, Brian, after a quick break here uh, on the Bill Press Pod. Hold on, and then we'll be right back. Well, I have to tell you, Governor Gavin Newsom's appointment of Lafonza Butler to fill the seat vacated by the death of Dianne Feinstein— reminded me of what a great organization Emily's List is. You know, Lafonso Butler, of course, for the last year or so, has been president of Emily's List. Uh, And that organization is one that I've supported from its very beginning, back in 1985. Their mission, they are very focused. Their mission is to elect pro-choice Democratic women. Again, they've been at it since 1985, and they are damn good at it. They've elected 26 women, helped elect 26 women to the United States Senate, Democratic pro-choice women, 175 women to the House of Representatives, 20 as governors, and 1,700 to other state and uh, city offices, not to mention, by the way, the vice president of the United States. I don't know any organization that's been more effective or deserves our support more Again, I've supported EMILY's List since 1985, encourage you to do the same. Check out their website at emilyslist.org. That's EMILY, E-M-I-L-Y, emilyslist.org. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's com slash Wondery. And we're back with today's podcast. Uh, Our guest uh, back on the Bill Press pod, Brian Boitler, formerly with uh, the Crooked Media podcast, and before that with The New Republic and TPM. And he is now the publisher of a great new newsletter called off Message, dealing with politics, culture, and media. Uh, how about a little shameless plug here, Brian, before we get back into Donald Trump and other news? I love it. Uh, why did you uh, start the uh, newsletter? Congratulations, by the way. And how can people sign up?
0: Uh, they can go to offmessage.net, enter your email address. There's a, a, a free version, and then there's there's paid, paid options as well. Um, I appreciate both. Uh, and I mm-hmm. started it because... I uh, sort of developed the sense over the last few years that the actual liberal media, you know, Republicans say all the media is liberal media, but there's, there's independent media from the center to the left. And when I entered um, that media 15 years ago or so, um, it felt like a more vibrant, freewheeling environment where people uh, disagreed very vigorously without worrying about, um, you know, betraying a camp or another, right, whether your camp is the Democratic Party or the Democratic Party's very left-wing critics. You could kind of make your case and uh, be secure in it and also not worry that you were helping to elect Republicans or, or something like that. And what I've noticed, and I think a lot of it has to do with the sort of traumatic experience of the Trump presidency and the fear of a, set, of a Trump comeback, is that in the Biden era, a lot of the, that center-left media has, um, has split into two camps. One is the sort of pro-Biden camp, the you know, cheer for the party, uh, sort of suppress internal differences so as to present a united front um, to the mm-hmm. public. And then there's, there's um, a, a bunch of factional media, um, where, which is sometimes issue-oriented, Sometimes it's sort of the the social democratic left, um, where I guess more anti Biden sentiment is allowed, but it's it's you know toward the end of a of some of some specific factional goal. And I missed the old days, and I kind of wanted to to salvage what I could of them, with you know keeping in mind that you know everyone kind of gets older and they and they. Reminisce about their younger years and think everything was better back then. You know, I'm trying to, trying to be careful not to do that. And I realize, um, that, that, uh, you know, you, you can't fully recreate the media of 2008 because things have changed a lot since then. Um, but that's sort of the goal is to, is to create a space where it, you can, you can want, you can think it's important for Republicans to lose elections without thinking that means that you have to always cheer for the home team.
1: Got it. Well, from what I've seen so far, uh, it you are a very important new voice uh, with this newsletter in the political discourse, and uh, look forward to hearing and seeing and reading more. Uh, so let's go back to Donald Trump for a sec. So the other thing that happened last week, Donald Trump actually said that he thought that the leading, gen- the top general of the United States of America, our military, should be executed for treason. <laughs> Why? Brian wasn't that the lead headline in every newspaper in America the next day? WTF? Yeah, right? WTF? Right? <laughs>
0: um, I think it goes back to, to uh, what we t- discussed at the very top, um, which is to to cover Donald Trump with the with the proper alacrity, with uh, convey the the gravity of the of the things he does, the, the sort of bad deeds that he does, requires good mental habits because it's natural for people who immerse themselves in the news to become desensitized to it. Are you even bored by it? You know, Donald Trump does shocking thing is not new to the people who say work at the New York times political desk or put together their front page, uh, layout and decide what stories are most important and things like that. You know, and and I sympathize with that, but I also think that to be, uh, uh, a credible journalist, like a quality journalist, you have to remind yourself every day that just because something isn't new to you doesn't mean it isn't important to the public. And think about presenting the news to people that way. And that doesn't mean you have to sensationalize things all the time just to just to uh, get your point across. But it does mean that when something remarkable, like Donald Trump, sort of threatening his former Joint Chiefs chairman with with death, happens. Um, that that you you think that maybe that's more important than you know, whatever Jim Jordan or Jim Comer screamed from their <laughs> yeah, House right. committees or whatever. Um, and 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 remember, this is this is going to be new to people, and, and people will be shocked by it. And it might affect how they carry out their civic duties. It might make them. Uh, it might affect how who they choose to vote for or whether they vote at all, because they might be so scandalized by it. And uh, that you know the i think that it wasn't front page news because a lots of journalists have sort of stopped doing that hard work of every time uh Donald Trump does something outrageous you stop and you think is this newsworthy outrageous or is this distraction outrageous and this was newsworthy outrageous and they and they and they kind of biffed it they
1: uh, they did and you know other examples like i it seems to me You could almost make the case – I think you could make the case that there are signs that Donald Trump could be losing it, right? I mean, last week he blamed Jeb Bush for starting the war in Iraq. He blamed Joe Biden for possibly leading us into World War II. Um, He did this crazy crazy speech where he talked about he was being in an electric boat and a boat is sinking, and so he has to choose between being electrocuted or eaten by a shark. I mean (laughs) – doesn't the media stuff have a responsibility of, of just pointing out that this is bullshit, right. Or more than that, maybe a little troubling. You you know,
0: Donald Trump has had these bizarre, I mean, asides, you know, you you, you remember, you remember like, maybe we could inject bleach to cure COVID. (laughs) That was three years ago now. (laughs) I mean, it's been a lot. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and you know, that was, I think that that was newsworthy, uh, Remarkable, not distraction. Remarkable, um, but but it's it's hard to know with Trump, like whether it is like a mental fitness issue or whether the guy is just bloviating so much all the time that and and always for the cameras that you know we catch him making these malapropisms and screwing up names and dates and whether it whether this would be the second or the third world war, um, <laughs> uh, but I do think what, what what I would say is that. Insofar as reporters are allowing themselves to get led around by the nose, both by uh, Republican operatives and Republican media making issue of Joe Biden's age and by the polling numbers, which suggest mm-hmm. even many Democrats are concerned about Joe Biden's age, that if they've determined that, okay, Joe Biden's age is a story, well, it's not a story in isolation because Donald Trump is also elderly and as you say, like some of the things he says, unlike what Joe, Joe Biden can hold together like a coherent strain of thought and over <laughs> on comp, complex issues in regarding countries that most Americans have never heard of, right? Uh, Donald yeah. Trump can't do that. And he also maybe thinks that World War II hasn't happened yet. And so it would be the Second World War. <laughs> um, uh, and if so, if, if they're going to fixate on the age issue, which fair enough, it's not like I'm saying that should be out of bounds. Uh, it, you gotta remember that there's one election and two candidates. And if you're, if age is an issue in the election, then you have to look at both candidates. And it's not like Donald Trump is the second coming of John F. Kennedy, uh, you know what I mean? And, and, and much younger than his opponent. And so, you know, he wins that aspect of the contest. They're, they're both old and there's indication that, uh, that, that Trump's age has like a more serious impact on his functioning than Biden's.
1: Do you think that NBC made a mistake by making Donald Trump uh, the lead guest on Kristen Walker's debut of Meet the Press, giving him another platform to say he won the last election?
0: I think my my basic sense of the question of whether network TV anchors should interview Donald Trump is that I it's hard for me as a journalist to say they shouldn't, but my the way I would do it if I were Uh, uh, hosted a big show like Meet the Press, is I would be willing to do it in a taped format so that uh, we, the journalists behind the scenes, could be careful about how we presented the final product so that we weren't broadcasting lies straight into millions of living rooms. Um, I do think that there's a way to interview him that is responsible. I don't think that that way is um uh, an unedited sit down interview or a live sit down interview it's definitely not to attend one of his press conferences and point a camera at the lectern um and 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 run it live that's a recipe for you know the inject bleach thing being broadcast to everyone <laughs> um uh so yeah i guess i would say it was it was a mistake because there was seemingly little effort put into um to screening for for the dishonesty that they had to know was coming because they've been covering Donald Trump for seven years.
1: Yeah, just like the CNN town hall with Caitlin Collins, right? I mean, right, right. I Same have, thing. Same basic that. idea. So I, I can't let you go, and it would I, I hate to be the uh, both sideism be a both sideism person, but I don't think it's fair to let you go without asking you about uh, how the Democrats are doing on messaging. What I hear from most of my Democratic friends, Brian, is that. That Republicans are great at messaging and Democrats are terrible at it uh, and uh, pick Bidenomics as a case study, maybe, at how weak (laughs) they are getting their message out. So overall, um, how would you assess, you know, Democrats getting their message out?
0: I I think the issue with Democrats is their message selection more than their message discipline or, um, you know, they're the, whether they have a good story to tell or not. I think they have a pretty good story to tell. What they're not very good at, I don't think, is what I call agenda setting. And I think the political science literature calls it agenda setting also, um, which is using their um, their uh, official powers, their, me- their, their megaphones, uh, to broadcast information that, News media will be interested in, and that people in their regular lives will hear. And the sad truth is, and this is you know an indictment of the media as much as it is of, of democratic politicians, is that they hear Bidenomics and they say, "Well, I'm not going to cover that. That like people will fall asleep, like we'll lose ratings. Nobody's going to buy a newspaper that has Bidenomics blurring across the the cover." But they, yeah, but they, but 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 media and i think people in general are drawn to conflict they're drawn to scandal um, they're drawn to uh, you know high drama and what i think what frustrates me about democratic messaging is that they have so much to work with in that realm because republicans have gone in so deep with donald trump they have built their party around this culture of lying and corruption that's that's so apparent to every I and mean, it's it it doesn't take deep investigative reporting skills to get to the bottom of this stuff.
1: It's very it's
0: yeah. very much on the surface and it's um it's very salacious. And I think the vast majority of the country, if they had as clear a sense of it as people in the in the news and politics business do, they'd be appalled and uh and you know, it's not like Donald Trump is very popular to start with, but he would be less so. And the people who don't like Donald Trump would be reminded about the things about him that are most upsetting. But Democrats seem in their messaging to want to downplay that in favor of telling a positive story about how well they run the country and how responsible they are at governing. Um, and it's not that they're wrong, it's that they won't get a lot of uh, free media from from journalists saying that stuff. And that means that they're basically turning the microphones over to, to Republicans who are happy to stage kangaroo courts and, and say outrageous things in order to, to attract the cameras. And get themselves broadcast into people's houses and get their their names and quotes in, in, on the front pages of the newspaper so that so that Americans hear that stuff. And unless they're paying super close attention, they're going to come away thinking, well, like, you know, all those clowns in Washington, they're all so corrupt. And that's not yeah. the truth. I mean, it's it's th- there is no symmetry between the parties in that way. And I think Democrats are, are kind of allowing that misperception to take hold by what they choose to talk about.
1: Uh, I almost hate to say it, but it, it almost sounds like Democrats have to learn to be more outrageous, right? So maybe, a little bit. <laughs> <something like that. laughs> so maybe they can get more attention. Well, again, it's great to have you back on the podcast, Bryant, right? and uh, I'm very excited for you for this big new move. We will have a link in uh, the notes to today's podcast for people to, uh, to sign up for your new newsletter uh, off the message so brian boitler i appreciate that very much bill thank you thanks for your good work over the years uh and thanks for coming back with us today on the bill press pod we'll talk to you again soon happy to be back anytime and that's a wrap for today's podcast with brian boitler again the newsletter is off message a great new addition to the political discourse as i mentioned Uh, so check out the episode notes to today's podcast uh for your link to sign up for off message. And meanwhile, boy, I'm looking forward to this week's reporters roundtable. So much to talk about. Donald Trump in the courtroom for the first time ever a former president in the courtroom. Uh, There'll probably be a big vote this week to unseat Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Uh, There's going to be a lot of effort on the parts of Democrats and Republicans to restore funding for Ukraine and a big shakeup in the California Senate race. All of that and a lot more on this week's Reporters Roundtable on Friday morning. So have a great week, everybody. Come back and see us Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod, our Reporters Roundtable.